Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. A responsible teen and loving sister. Also one of the best people I think I've ever known. With a mysterious past. I heard a secret, but I can't say it. I need to know what that secret is. Is found tangled in the swampy reeds. It was heinous. Nobody deserves to die like that. Somebody's out there bragging about what they did to my baby girl! <laughs> Who slaughtered this innocent young beauty? It was those quillbillies. They thought that the only way to stop her was to kill her. Maybe it was an accident. That's not what happened! I ain't got nobody to verify nothing. I mean, as far as we're concerned, we got two more suspects. Everyone was in fear. There was a killer in their midst. Along the shores of the Hood Canal lies Quilcene, Washington, an idyllic small town where everyone knows everyone. It's a town where you can see one end from the other end. It's a tight-knit community. Everybody knows each other. There's one school. There's two little stores. Isolated 30 miles northwest of Seattle on the Olympic Peninsula, this community of less than 500 offers panoramic mountain views. Hidden behind the Douglas firs, the Little Quilcene River, known affectionately by the locals as Little Quill, is the perfect spot to get away from it all. Growing up in, in Quilcene, you spend a lot of time riding dirt bikes, shooting firearms, hunting. And when the mist blankets the valley and the rain just won't quit, these watery passageways swell, becoming an eerie swampland. A lot of the time, the fog doesn't burn off until the late afternoon, and you can't see more than a hundred yards sometimes. But even the summer haze can't cover up this waterway's most deadly secrets. Around 4 p.m. on a sweltering Monday afternoon in late July 1992, Myra Tornensis is frantically calling friends and family, trying to track down her daughter, Allison. Hi, Bonnie, it's Myra. Have you seen Allison? 
The 15-year-old blonde didn't come home last night after spending the weekend at her best friend Mary's. And in this safe, small town, Myra didn't think she had anything to worry about at first. Even as a young girl, we would walk these roads in the woods and, you know, back then there's no GPS, there's no cell phones. We wouldn't even tell our parents where we were going and never felt ever any danger. As the hours continue to tick by, Myra realizes something is terribly wrong. I'm really worried. Mary says the last time she saw Allison was walking into town early Sunday morning around 1 a.m. Yeah. I mean, at first I thought it was all this new discipline we set. But Mary swears that Allison was not with her last night. I mean, she doesn't have a boyfriend. She has never gone this long without checking in. Allison was a very, very, very loving, and she always thought of other people's feelings. So Aunt Myra knew in her heart that something bad had happened, and she got a hold of the police. And I can't find my daughter, Allison. I need to file a missing persons report now. But Allison's 13-year-old brother, Paul, isn't so worried about his big sister. Thank you. Mom, it's going to be fine. I'm sure she's just hiding out at Mary's. We come from a broken home. My mom and dad had separated, and we lived with my mom, and my mom worked a lot and was never home. Aunt Myra had some close friends and also a sister that tried to discipline Allison and Paul. The kids were very upset that uh, these individuals were coming in and giving them the rules. I'm so sick of everyone telling us what to do. They're not our parents. Don't worry, we'll be at dad's next month. We'll have to worry about this BS. Thank God. She had started to get into being more social and spent quite a bit of time away from home with her friends and stuff. But me and Allison were very close. Allison was sort of a backbone to the family. She really did keep them together after Aunt Myra and Uncle Moose got divorced. Uh, she was a second mother to Paul. Yes, Beachy, what now? I don't know, you just got lucky. Whoa, whoa stop, what are you doing? It's a slug, what Listen, do you think of? Every living creature has as much of a right to live as me, or anyone for that matter. She was a firm believer in equal opportunity for everything that breathes air. She's had all kinds of wildlife pets. The fierce animal lover even took in a baby raccoon, who she named Spike. She actually found it out in the woods, brought it home. It slept with her in her bed. So Allison was definitely somebody that um, had lots of love in her heart. When's the last time you saw Allison? I already told you, Mom. I saw her Friday night outside the Peninsula Food Store with Mary and a couple of guys. But that's what concerns me. Mary, her best friend, doesn't know where she's at. Well, I'm sure she's just tired of people coming in and trying to control her life. Mary's probably just covering for her. Dispatch notifies officers of the missing teen. But in this quiet town, police are convinced Allison is just a hormonal runaway. There was some thought that she didn't want to go back home. She may not have wanted to have been found. Detective Ken Sukert takes on the case and sits down with Allison's best friend, Mary Munn, to find out more about the night Allison supposedly took off. Excuse me, Mary. Detective Sukert, I need to ask you a few questions about your friend, Allison Tornensis. Sure. I know her mom is worried sick about her. So you were with her Saturday night, right? Yes, we were up on Mount Walker just 
cruising the old logging roads. Okay. Um, now I know that neither of you are of age to drive, so who else was with you? We were with Wade Ward and Fred Bueller. Wade Ward and Fred Bueller are older former classmates of the girls from Crossroads Community School. Turns out the 22-year-olds drove Allison and Mary up the mountain to party into the wee hours of the night. I'm doing my best. Well, Mary and Allison were attractive 15-year-old girls, and they caught the attention of older guys. But it just it, it's not uncommon to see that type of thing. There's not a mall to hang out at, so they would go out into the woods and have parties. And was there any drinking or drugs that night? No. No drinking, no drugs. Allison and I would never do that. Mary, you're not going to get in trouble. I need to know the truth. I have to know all the facts so that I can find Allison. Okay. So what happened next? Oh, uh, well, on our way back down the mountain, the car kind of like skidded off the road a bit. No one was injured, but the car got stuck in a muddy ditch, leaving the four stranded on the mountain. Hold on. The group walked over an hour through the woods. They got to Transquilcine Trailer Park. As they're walking by, they noticed that Trump and Charlie's awake on his porch. 59-year-old barber Charles Marino is known by most as Choppin' Charlie for his fast haircutting skills. Wade Ward used to work for the stylist, so the group felt safe asking him for help. Hey, Charlie. Hey, Wade, what are you doing here? I sort of wrecked my car on top of Walker Mountain. Uh, we've been walking for over an hour. Is it all right if we just hang out here for a little while? Now, you're not gonna hang out here, but I'll tell you what, you can use the phone inside. Phone's in the kitchen, call for help. What's wrong with you? These girls are way too young. They can't even drive. Just mind your own business. Charles Moreno, or Chopping Charlie, as we all knew him, was a was quite a character. He was one of the last establishments offering a $5 haircut. Tow truck will be here in a little while. Um, guys, I think I'm gonna head back into town and find Paul. Thanks for letting us use your phone. Allison, you don't wanna stay and just wait for the tow truck? Yeah. Not really. I'm just going to go back. I'll see you tomorrow. From what the kids say is that it wasn't really an option. She was going to walk to town, and I guess if they wanted to follow her, they could. And that was the last time I saw her. She just disappeared into the woods. Had you gotten into a fight? No. No, nothing like that. She just wanted to go meet up with her brother, Paul, and I assumed she did. But Paul was staying at his friend Ian's and says he never saw his sister that night. So where had the young blonde gone off to? Is it possible she wasn't truthful about where she was really going? It was very short distance to um, downtown Quilcene. Uh, approximately half a mile, not very far at all. Really hard to imagine how Allison would have somehow disappeared Days pass, and news of the missing teen is on everyone's mind. Flyers line the streets, but still, no one seems to have seen or heard from Allison Tornensis. People were tromping through the brush. They were trying to figure out where she might have been, just waiting and hoping and praying that, that she would be found alive. She'd been missing for about five days at that point, and 
that was causing grievous concern. It was at that point in my mind that I was never gonna see my sister again. It was a terrible feeling. Then, six days after Allison vanished, a local man is walking along the banks of the Little Quilcene River about a mile away from town when he notices something stuck on the rocks in the water. What the? He makes his way through the dense waist-high ferns and stumbles upon the horrific sight of a young girl on the muddy water's edge. Help! Somebody help! Lying face down and submerged in two inches of muck, it's clear she is not breathing. Deputy Ben Stamper and Detective Ken Sukert head to the river to investigate. We immediately suspected that it was Allison. No sign of foul play. Looks like the body's been in the water for a couple of days. Could this be an accident? You think she drowned? It's hard to tell. We won't know anything until we get the autopsy back. Let's get her out of the water and turn her over and see what the front tells us. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Nothing is more personal or specific than our health and well-being. So it's really weird to me that most weight loss plans are one size fits all. Noom, however, is different. Noom understands that every single person is unique, so they build personal plans to meet individual needs. I appreciate that Noom is designed this way, that it meets each person where they're at, and that its approach is based in psychology and biology. And not only that, this approach is grounded in science. Noom has published more than 30 peer-reviewed scientific articles about it. Noom also wants you to enjoy food so it doesn't restrict what you can eat or shame you for treating yourself. I actually overheard a conversation about Noom at my local cafe the other day. Both diners were talking about all these foods they've discovered that they really love thanks to recipes they found on the Noom app. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. 
Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. It's a blistering hot and hazy Saturday in August of 1992 in Quilcene, Washington. Investigators are continuing to sink their feet into the watery crime scene where a young girl's body was discovered. It was very personal to me. I grew up on the little Quilcene River, and it seemed to me as if Quilcene had lost its innocence. But when detectives roll over the waterlogged body, they can clearly see that the young woman didn't drown. This is definitely Allison, and this was definitely not an accident. She was stabbed to death. At least 12 stab wounds. You think sexual assault? Could be. To make sure the medical examiner does a rape kit. Deputy, let's make sure we lock down the area. Before notifying the family about any of the details, investigators continue to process the grisly scene into the early evening. All right, I need everybody to spread out. Make sure that we collect everything on the river, please. We walked both banks of the river. We picked up every wrapper or cigarette butt in the area, hoping to find some piece of forensic evidence, and we found nothing. Being in the water makes the search area far greater, and any kind of like DNA evidence or trace it, like hair or fibers and things like that, are pretty much all washed away. When Deputy Stamper finally emerges from the muddy mire empty-handed, he is shocked to find out that rumors about the young girl's murder are already rampant, and one in particular is suspiciously close to the facts. Damn it, this is a closed crime scene, people. Who's leaking information? Even though we had not released her mode of death, we began receiving reports that she had been, quote, stabbed multiple times. There are about 500 folks who call Quilcene home, and now they are all persons of interest. Almost immediately, everyone in town was in fear that there was a killer in their midst. Later that night, the medical examiner uses dental records to confirm the victim is 15-year-old Allison Tornensis. Detective Ken Sugert now has the terrible task of giving her family the awful news. I, um... <clears throat> There is, uh, there is no easy way for me to say this. I'm, I'm so no, sorry. No, no, no. We found Allison's body this morning. No. There was a lot of tears, a lot of emotion, um, no sleeping, and uh, just unbelievable, just senseless. Just why would it happen? Why her? And now it, where does our family go from here? Mom, hey. She's dead. She's dead. I was really scared. I mean, innocently I broke down. Listen, I know this is incredibly difficult. I know you can't think right now, but I need to have as much information as soon as I can get it about this. Did Allison have a boyfriend? No, I mean, she, she had a small group of friends around town that she liked to hang out with, but she, she wasn't dating as far as I know. Everybody 
loved Allison. Who would do this to her? <laughs> Allison ha always had a smile on her face. She had the most infectious laugh. She literally was the sweetest girl I've ever known. Detective Sucre tells Allison's mom that he believes the killer may be local and may have already been running his or her mouth. Somebody said something about making... What? Somebody's out there bragging about hey. what they did to my baby girl? Mom, <laughs> I promise you we are going to do everything that we can do to find this person. It was very scary, very scary thinking that somebody that was in this town that knew Allison um, was somebody that she hung out with that had taken her life. Did Allison have a secret relationship with someone from town? One that ended in murder? What else can you tell me about the weekend that Allison disappeared? I don't know. I mean, I think I've told you everything I know. What about uh, a diary or maybe a journal or anything like that? No, not that I know of. But she and Mary, they used to do these on home videos of each other. I'm gonna need to see those videos. The next morning, investigators continue to wade through the little quill hoping to find the murder weapon or any other clues pointing to a killer. Still no luck with a murder weapon? It was a very personal attack on her. We felt that she very likely knew her attacker because she had let that person get within striking distance. A week into the investigation, the autopsy report comes back and confirms that Allison bled to death from the stab wounds. It also reveals the 15-year-old was not sexually assaulted. It says here we're looking for a single-edged blade, probably with about a one-inch wide blade. This is, uh, there's no defensive wounds. When we interviewed Allison's family, they said she was a bit of a tomboy, right? Mm-hmm. Stands to reason she would have put up a fight. She could have been caught off guard. Maybe she passed out from all the alcohol. It does say her blood alcohol level is 0.06. That's close to the legal limit for an adult. It's a lot of alcohol for a 15-year-old. It struck me that all the stab wounds were from the front, so her attacker had faced her and looked her in the eye while he was thrusting the knife into her body. And there's no shred of evidence on her. It was all washed away. Yeah. So we have no DNA. We have no murder weapon, and we don't know where she was actually killed. Unfortunately, that's right. <sighs> it's devastating to think that somebody as sweet and, and kind as Allison would have gone through something so horrific. And I, all I can hope is that she went fast. Investigators received the home videos of Allison from her family. They hope an intimate look into her life may reveal a clue. Allison and her girlfriend, Mary, um, they were notorious for making home videos of themselves, just having fun. One part of the video piques Ben's interest. I heard a secret, but I can't say it. What's that secret now? I told you it would be a secret. We speculated that that may have been a boyfriend that was a secret. A lot of the investigation was directed toward trying to learn who that might have been. Did she have a secret admirer, a secret lover, or someone that uh, if she they found out they would kill her, you know? Or, so, yeah, the secret thing uh, spurred things on. 
We didn't know, was there some substance to the secret and was she afraid of something? All we knew is that she had said that. Detectives sit down again with Allison's best friend, Mary Munn, to find out about this mysterious tidbit of information and learn about the young men they were with the night Allison vanished. Hello, Mary. Hi, Detective. I need to ask you a few more questions about Allison. Well, I already told you everything I could. Remember the video, the one that Allison told you she had a secret in? Kind of. We made so many of them. I need to know what that secret is. I don't know. I don't think she ever told me. Are you sure? I need you to think very hard. Mary came off somewhat uncooperative. And so that kind of raised some red flags, thinking that, well, she must know something. What about Wade and Fred? Were you on a double date? Not really. I mean, I like Wade a lot, but Allison wasn't interested in Fred. Mary was in kind of a mutual type thing, and Allison wasn't so much into that with Fred Bueller. <laughs> Mary tells the detective that Allison really just wanted to leave because Fred had been bothering her all night. Sorry, Fred, I'm really just not into you like that. Come on, don't you want to have a little okay, fun Okay, stop. Though? Seriously, just stop. Soon after, the group headed down the mountain and crashed into the ditch. Allison was last seen leaving Choppin' Charlie's, walking toward town. About 20 minutes after she walked off, Fred Wade and I tried to go find her in town. And what happened then? Well, we got to town and she wasn't there, so I went home and went to sleep. Detective Sukert invites Wade Ward and Fred Bueller down to the station. There was a lot of suspicion cast on the two males who had been last seen with Allison. Was there anything romantic between the two of you? I mean, I liked her, and I tried to kiss her the other night, and she rejected me. I knew we shouldn't have let her go by herself. So is that when it happened, huh? Maybe you were a little frustrated, angry, you snapped. No. That's when you do it. No, no nothing like that happened. It was nothing like that. The 22-year-olds appear genuinely upset. Perhaps Choppin' Charlie will know more. So Deputy Ben Stamper takes a ride out to his trailer home to get his side of the story. <clears throat> Evening, officer. You need a haircut? No, sir. Just stopped by to ask you a quick question about those kids. You let use your phone the other night? Sure. Choppin' Charlie was an older gentleman that lived in town. A lot of people would go to him to get a, a quick trim, maybe have a beer with him. Did you take me back through that, that night as you remember it? Well, it was late, and I was sitting up on the porch drinking a beer, and they walked up and they said they had car trouble. Well, I offered up the phone to them, and they called for help. Yeah, did you notice anything out of the ordinary? Not really. Just that little old girl left in a big hurry all by herself. You go back to the last person that saw him, um, what they do. Yeah, what'd you do after those kids left? Well, I had me a buzz on, so I just turned in for the night. Yeah, you got anyone else that can verify that? I live alone. I ain't got nobody to verify nothing. You know, Charlie, you might want to get comfortable in that seat, because I think we're going to be back. 
Is it possible Chop and Charlie stalked Allison on the mountain road after she left? Nobody knows these secluded backcountry trails better than Charlie. They looked for evidence, signs of a struggle, signs of blood, and they found nothing. Weeks turn into months, and Detective Joe Knoll joins the team to help question more than 200 people, including Fred Bueller and Wade okay. Ward. Let's go through this one more time. Everyone in town was probably questioned on this, um, at least once, a lot more than once. Did Allison have any enemies, or was she fighting with anybody? No, she was friends with everyone. I really don't know why anyone would do this to her. But the interviews yield no new leads. Allison was a typical teenage girl, and with no new physical evidence or murder weapon, detectives have very little to go on. So they call in Seattle Police Detective Robert Jebo to draw up a more detailed psychological profile of Allison's killer. So we know we're looking for a male in his 20s, maybe an older, immature guy. We know that he knew Allison well, although they probably chose to keep their friendship quite secret. The killer we were looking for probably was a very angry young man with an explosive personality, but if you didn't know him real well, he would fit in and in, a, in any crowd. We would be looking for some behavioral changes that he would exhibit immediately after the murder and again after the body was found. This was spontaneous and it was fueled by anger. Though this narrows their search, the description unfortunately fits a number of people detectives have already questioned and ruled out. With few options left, they decide once again to bring back the last three men who saw Allison alive, Fred Bueller, Wade Ward, and Choppin' Charlie. And this time, they hook him up to a polygraph test. These questions are all gonna be yes or no answers. Do you understand? Yes. Is your name Fred Bueller? Yes. Are you 22 years old? Yes. Did you have anything to do with the death of Allison Tornesis? No. They were all questioned rigorously and every one of them denied it. Um, there was never any evidence that could positively prove that any one of them could have done this crime. Detectives are at a loss. Who was lurking in those dark woods while Allison made her way into town? For now, without any other evidence or someone to come forward with new information, the case goes cold. It started out as uh, a real hopeful investigation that we're going to have this guy caught in a couple days to years later, he still hadn't been caught. Eventually, people began to forget and continue with their lives and we never forgot, but the leads became eventually many months apart. It was very difficult, uh, very frustrating, not knowing, you know, who it might have been. In 1995, almost three years after Allison was found in the muck of the Little Quill, producers from the television series America's Most Wanted come to town to cover the unsolved murder. We were so hopeful that this would bring forward the leads that we needed to solve this case and to finally put 
Allison to rest. It was killing us inside, not knowing what really happened to her. And then finally, the case opens up. Just two weeks after the America's Most Wanted segment airs, 22-year-old Robert Froelich walks into the station with a startling revelation. Can I help you? I have some information about Allison Ternensis. Robert Froelich was a young man who had been encountered by our office many times for mostly petty crimes. Robert Froelich was somebody who grew up in Quillacine. He was only 19 at the time that this happened. He was looked upon as somebody who had a serious drug problem. Detectives questioned Froelich years ago when the entire town was suspect, and he said he knew nothing. But now he drops a grenade on authorities. I, I know who killed her. It was, it was those quillbillies, uh, Johnny Sharp and Daryl Pittman. Johnny Sharp lived with Daryl Pittman in Quilcene, and he was friends with them. Considering Robert's long history with drug abuse, authorities are leery of the confession. He was a, a very heavy user in crystal meth and just somebody that people thought was maybe a little off. How do you know they did it? They told me. Do they say why? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, they said that Allison had this videotape of, of them getting high and she threatened to give it to the cops. And, uh, and they, thought, they thought that the only way to stop her was to kill her. I think the part about the video kind of perked their ears up a little bit. So they did look into it. I heard a secret, but I can't say it. Was this perhaps Allison's big secret from her home videos? Detectives give Robert a polygraph test to verify his story, but the test results are inconclusive. What do you think? Do you believe him? I don't know. I looked back at my notes, and we've already cleared Johnny and Daryl. Yeah, I still think we should bring these guys back in. When he said these two other people were involved, we immediately looked into that. I mean, as far as we're concerned, we got two more suspects. We have some follow-up questions regarding Allison. How well did you know her? I knew of her. We didn't really hang out or anything. Did you see her at any parties? Probably. Everybody in town winds up at the same place at some Did point. Did she videotape you? Videotape? No. No, not that. Where I were know. you on the night of Saturday, July 25th, 1992? It was numerous interviews, and it was interviews with their friends and relatives and things to where we were felt confident that these guys don't have anything to do with this. And since there's still zero forensic evidence and no murder weapon, Investigators have to let Johnny Sharp and Daryl Pittman go, but Robert won't keep his mouth shut. I'd been around the guy a bit at this point because, you know, I was, I was in the scene. Hey, Paul. How's it going, man? Not too bad. Doing all right? Did you hear the news? About who killed your sister? No, what's the latest rumor? It's not a rumor. No, for a fact, it was Johnny Sharp and Daryl Pittman. Oh, really? I swear. I know because last night, these fairies came into my room and they told me. It wasn't long before it dawned on me that, wow, <laughs> this guy is way out to lunch. Reality to him is so not reality to anybody um, of a healthy mindset. But Paul urges detectives to look yet again at Fred Bueller, 
one of the guys Allison was with the night she disappeared. I was very suspicious of the guys that, you know, was Allison the night that she went missing, simply due to the fact that they, they weren't the same age group as Allison. It's the last night that she's seen alive. There were several members of the community who were pointing fingers at Fred Bueller. The investigation appears to be going in circles, but detectives are determined to solve Allison's case. Once again, they review the interview notes and polygraph test of Fred Bueller. All right, so he said that after he and Mary and Wade got into town and couldn't find her, that they called it a night. But is it possible that he ran into her later that night? But he said he didn't, and he passed his polygraph. Yeah, well, you know, you can't always trust those results. Plus, she rejected him earlier that night, right? He could have been very angry. Is it possible Fred stayed out to hunt down Allison? Could he have found her and then brutally stabbed her to death for publicly humiliating him? Fred Bueller was concerned when the rumors started circulating around Quill scene that he was our lead suspect. He came to my house one night begging me to convince everyone that he was not our suspect. Although police believe Fred had the means and the motive to commit murder, Turns out he has a solid alibi. A friend confirms he drove Fred to his grandma's around 1.30 a.m. that same night, more than 12 miles from town. With nothing left to go on but enduring small-town gossip, Allison's case goes cold once again. And this time, it stays cold for more than five years. We always had her picture hanging up in our office. You know, we're always thinking someday we're gonna solve this case. There just came a point where we thought nobody's ever going to give us the information that we need so that we can put her to rest. Then on July 4th, 2000, nearly eight years after the murder of Allison Tornensis, the case cracks wide open. Robert Froelich walks into a police station in Curry County, Oregon, and again, the struggling drug addict wants to talk about the murder of Allison Tornensis. Excuse me. But this time, he changes his story. I think I killed a girl. It was years ago in Quilcene, Washington. Her name was Allison Tornensis. It was always the other two guys that he was talking about, but never himself until this point. I'm the person that killed her. I'm responsible for that. Local authorities arrest Robert Froelich, and Detective Joe Knoll makes the trip out to Oregon to escort the 27-year-old back to Jefferson County. Just because you have a confession doesn't mean that you have a conviction. That was the first case I had where I actually worked it backwards. Not all the details are crystal clear to prime suspect Robert Froelich. He still insists Johnny Sharp and Daryl Pittman were involved, even though investigators have flat out cleared them. In the confession, there were things that made sense, and there were things that didn't make sense. Johnny Sharp, Daryl Pittman, and me we saw Allison walking down the 101 late that night through the middle of town. And uh, Johnny's trailer, you know, was, was just right there, so we convinced her to come hang out with us. So what happened next? We partied a bit, and Allison fell asleep on the couch. She was just laying there sleeping, I started stabbing her. 
<laughs> things just got really quiet. This is according to Froelich. And so he gets in Johnny's car and then they drive over to the Little Quill River. So him and Johnny carry her into the river. Okay. Detectives are skeptical of Robert's version of events and probe deeper. They focus on asking him questions only the killer could answer to find out if there's any truth to this new account. What was she wearing? Jeans and a yellow shirt. Where'd you stab her? Mainly her chest and her neck. What hand? My left hand. What kind of knife? I told you already. It was a steak knife that I, I had in my car. I ordered the same knives, and the steak knife in there was totally consistent with all the stab wounds, uh, the depth, the, the width, you know, the type of cutting edge and all that stuff. So, you know, the, the knife panned out. I was using meth a lot back then, like daily, and so it's all, it's all kind of hazy. Why tell us this now? Well, I'm sober now. And, uh, and I just, I can't live with myself knowing what I did. One of the crazy things when I look back on it, in a town full of suspects, he was never one of them. So why'd you do it? She just, she just kept talking about how she was gonna give that tape of us, the drug video, to the sheriff. No video of a drug party was ever found. Detectives scour Johnny's home, but find nothing. The lack of evidence, coupled with the inconsistencies in Robert's story, lead investigators to believe Robert Froelich acted alone when he stabbed Allison to death and dumped her body in the little quill. Johnny Sharp and Daryl Pittman are never found to have any involvement in the crime. I think that you had to make allowances for discrepancies in his memory. I mean, there were psychological evals and polygraph exams and things like that that kept pointing to him as the person who did it. To finally know that Robert Froelich was the angry young man from the profile who had murdered Allison Fernandez was a feeling of great relief to all of us. We felt that finally our, our prayers had been answered. Robert undergoes multiple mental evaluations, and defense attorneys try to argue that he was suffering from drug-induced psychosis when he stabbed Allison 13 times in the neck and chest. Robert Froelich waived his right to a jury trial. The judge um, determined that Robert Froelich was not psychotic. On February 21st, 2002, almost 10 years after Allison's untimely death, a judge finds 28-year-old Robert Froelich guilty of second-degree murder and sentences him to 16 years in prison. Our family was devastated that somebody could senselessly just murder her like this and that all he was going to get was 16 years. Robert will be 44 years old when he walks out a free man. Allison's mother can only hope that Robert will be a changed man. As for their daughter, well, as most parents who have lost a child will tell you, you never get over that. Never. You just have to learn to live with a big part of your heart missing.
it totally impacted my entire family. There was like a before Allison's death and after Allison's death. Allison was really, probably one of the best people I think I've ever known to this day. More than 20 years later, I still carry a, a poster that we made. I'll certainly never forget this investigation. Our case number 92-1402 will always be ingrained in my memory. I firmly believe in and in God. Um, I also believe in forgiveness. It's a very tough pill to swallow. Robert Froelich, per the law, has paid his dues, but I believe that he'll pay further in, you know, when he dies. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Dan and Nancy reside in the peaceful suburbs just outside of Portland, where they are living out their golden years. Their marriage spans over two decades and is seen as a pillar of the community. But when Dan is found dead in his classroom, Nancy finds herself at the center of a murder case that could be ripped from the pages of her novels. Binge all episodes of Happily Never After, Dan and Nancy, ad-free right now on Wondery Plus. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.